In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. My name is uh, Father Ben, one of the rectors here at the table. Um, it's kind of a fancy word for pastor, pastor in charge. So, um, And we've got good news today. As I was reading these passages and preparing uh, to preach today, uh, I was struck by something that feels very basic, but I think is easy for us uh, to forget, and that is the kind of God that we cry out to in our need. And all the ways that we invent stories about why God is doing or not doing what we think God ought to do, and how that affects our ability to simply cry out to God in our time of need. Our collect of the day that Spencer prayed earlier cries out for God, to God for freedom from bondage and for the liberty of that abundant life that is ours in Christ Jesus. I think there's something fundamental about this cry, isn't there? To be set free from bondage and to experience liberty, flourishing life. We long to be freed from anxiety and depression and all kinds of mental illnesses and disorders that we wrestle with. We long to be freed from incurable diseases, from chronic pain that's unexplainable that doctors don't know what to do about. We long to be freed from loneliness and the heartache of being estranged from loved ones. We long to be freed from entrenched systems of violence and oppression that don't seem to be getting any better as time goes on. I wonder just as we begin, <laughs> if I can ask you to get in touch with the suffering, the bondage that you are most in touch with right now. Maybe it's your own. Maybe it's someone else's, someone that you love, that you long to see set free. Just take a moment and hold that situation or that person in your mind, in God's presence. Because the good news for us today in the midst of that suffering that you hold in your mind right now and these longings that we have, today we proclaim this good news that Jesus Christ, risen and present with us now, is responsive to our cries for mercy in the midst of suffering. When we find ourselves at the end of our rope, we find Jesus there, compassionate and eager to set us free from our bondage and bring us the liberty of that abundant life of God's reign. Beloved, we don't have to hedge our bets or whip up more faith or explain the results. We simply have to ask Jesus for help and trust God's power to raise us from death to life. Tokens of this abundant life are referred to in our collect, as I mentioned, but also um, in each of our scripture readings today, um, each time uh, a token of abundant life is given to a marginalized person in some way. The Gentile army commander is healed of a skin disease because of the word of an enslaved girl. Another enslaved girl is being used by men to make money, and she is set free from her bondage to demonic spirits, which disturbs the peace of the city. And then, of course, in our gospel reading, a precious little girl is raised from the dead, and a hemorrhaging woman 
is healed and released from her suffering when she touches the fringe of Jesus' clothing. That story from Matthew's gospel is a kind of a healing within a healing. The leader, probably of the synagogue, he comes to Jesus for help because he realizes that he is at the end of his rope. He is powerless to prevent the death of his little girl. And so he gets an idea in his head, well-founded, that maybe Jesus can do something about this. And so instead of accepting his fate and joining the mourners and going through the normal preparations of the body, he instead leaves and he goes and finds Jesus and advocates on behalf of his daughter who is powerless and marginalized many times over. She's a child. They were not seen as worth anything in those days. She's a girl. She's a female child. And now, of course, she's dead. The ultimate marginalization. She cannot speak. She cannot advocate for herself. The synagogue leader advocates for his daughter with Jesus. This is a contrast to the rulers of the Gentiles that Jesus will speak of later who lorded over others. This leader recognizes the limitations of his own power and seeks Jesus' help on behalf of a marginalized, powerless person. And Jesus responds to his cry for mercy. He gets up and goes with him. The story is interrupted then by another story, though. Then suddenly a woman. The text doesn't tell us much about her, only that she'd been suffering for 12 years from some kind of hemorrhaging. She comes up behind Jesus to touch the fringe of his clothing because she too is at the end of her rope and somehow has gotten the idea into her head that if I just touch his clothing, I'll be healed. And she does this, and of course, Jesus notices. It gets Jesus' attention, and he turns and sees her. We could do a whole sermon right there. We won't. I'm tempted, but we won't. He sees her, and he publicly blesses her. Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. That idea you got into your head, good enough for me. Your faith has healed you. And she is healed from that moment. Jesus, again, is responsive to the desperate cries of those who suffer. God's power is released to bring healing to this woman and a token of the wholeness that will mark the abundance of God's reign, God's empire, if you will. And then, of course, the other story picks back up. At this point in the story, I forgot there was another story. I don't know if you guys read, read the Bible that way, but I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's on his way to do something else. The other story picks back up, and he goes to the leader's house, and they're already mourning her death, of course, with music and lament, death's finality being observed in the traditional ways. Uh, but the girl's father has asked Jesus to come and do something, and Jesus intends to do it. And so he tells the mourners, y'all can leave, because she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And, of course, they laugh at him because they know what death is. They know what they're dealing with here. They haven't made a mistake but Jesus is undeterred by their lack of faith, their negative responses, and he puts them all out. And he takes the girl by the hand, and there's something about that text. The precious girl arose. Raised, to death, raised from death to life by the power of God. Another token of the empire that God is coming to establish. A sovereignty that sets us free from the dominion of death and brings life to the whole world. Notice with me, how utterly beautiful Jesus is. 
how utterly beautiful the God that Jesus reveals is. To those who ask him for help, Jesus responds with simple service. Please, come and raise my daughter. Okay. If only I can touch his clothing, I'll be healed. Okay. Never would have thought of that, but it's good enough for me. Be healed. Your faith has healed you. Very often in the Gospels, Jesus does stuff because someone asked him to. It's a beautiful simplicity to his helpfulness. Teresa of Avila said, when one reaches the highest degree of human maturity, one has only one question left. How can I be helpful? We see this maturity and this grace in Jesus, and it reflects who God is towards us. Behold also the humility of Jesus. He downplays his own role and his own power in these stories and instead, instead affirms the faith of those who ask for help. He doesn't say, my power has healed you. Are you grateful? He says, your faith has healed you. He credits the woman with the whole thing. You did this. Congratulations. Your faith has healed you. When he comes to the little, the little girl, he doesn't say, watch everyone, gather round. I'm going to raise a little girl from the dead. You're going to be talking about this for years. I mean, it's funny. But you know, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he says, you know what? Actually, everybody leave. And he doesn't even acknowledge that she's dead. She's, she's just sleeping. I'm going to wake her up. Puts everybody out and he just raises her up. Such glorious humility. Always seeking to see, to heal, to serve, to bless. This is our God. This is who we cry out to in our time of need and in our sufferings. Jesus Christ, risen and present with us now, is responsive to our cries of mercy in the midst of our sufferings. When we find ourselves at the end of our rope, we find Jesus there, compassionate and eager to set us free from our bondage and bring us the liberty of the abundant life of God's reign. We don't have to hedge our bets, beloved. We don't have to explain the results. We don't have to drum up more faith. Beloved, let us simply ask Jesus for help and trust God's power to raise us from death to life. I'm aware that this good news is difficult for most of us to hear because most of us have cried out to God in a time of need and have not received the answer we hoped for. The child with leukemia has a setback. Yet another black person is killed by police. The long-standing health condition just keeps getting worse. The loneliness becomes debilitating. Yet another potential employer says no. The house you hoped would be your next home goes to somebody else. It's tempting to believe we're foolish to pray for healing, for provision, for help in our suffering. If prayer doesn't work, then why bother? I'm familiar with this temptation. But beloved, prayer is not a technology. It doesn't work or not, because it's not a technology. It's not something we can figure out or master or control. It's not a technique we can use to obtain desired results. 
Prayer is a mystery we enter into. It's a communion we participate in. It's an encounter that we surrender to. So why are people sometimes healed when we pray and sometimes not? I don't know. But that's not our job to figure out why. I've got stuff I've been praying about for years that I'm still confused about. Still asking God. Right now I'm asking God to help me in, very, in a few very specific ways. And I'm constantly tempted to believe that I've been a fool to trust Jesus. That I was stupid to give my life over to God 29 years ago. I get weary sometimes showing up day after day to pray again for daily bread, for creativity and vision, for endurance and wisdom, for healing and justice. But the good news that I'm receiving in this text today is that that's faith. Coming to the end of your rope and asking Jesus for help, that's faith. That's enough. That's all the synagogue leader had, an inkling that maybe Jesus could help. That's all the hemorrhaging woman had. If I touch his clothing, I'll be healed, maybe. I'll give it a try. And Jesus affirms both of them and says, that's enough faith, that's enough faith. I will come, I will help, I will heal, I will see, I will bless. No matter how much we grow in our faith and mature in our faith, we never outgrow the simplicity of this kind of prayer because we never outgrow our humanity, the vulnerability and weakness of being a human being. We will always need to lean on this kind of prayer. And through these kinds of prayers, we get to participate in the healing of the world, even if we don't always see the results we want or understand what's happening in our prayers. Returning again to the, and surrendering to this encounter and asking for what we need, we are participating in the healing of the world. This is what God invites us into. God invites us to be part of bringing abundant life to the whole cosmos. Our prayers are part of that, whether for ourselves or others. So we're going to respond today to this good news by praying the prayers of the people, something we do every Sunday. And it's an opportunity for us to exercise faith together, advocating before God for ourselves, each other, and the marginalized. We are receiving new members today and Part of what it means to be members of one another is that we stand in solidarity with each other, praying for one another's needs as if they were our own. I see this happen almost every single day in our community, and it's beautiful to behold. People ask for prayer. Others say, I'm praying. And I know others who don't say it are praying. This is part of how we participate in God's reign among us. So what suffering, again, are you most in touch with today? What need? Where have you reached the end of your rope? Where do you need freedom and life? Perhaps it's for yourself, like the woman with the issue of blood. Or perhaps it's for someone else, like the synagogue leader. Hold that situation in your mind as we pray. And there's a specific prayer that we pray um, in the, the prayers of the people that we're using now that says, comfort and heal. It starts with this phrase, comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. We're going to create some extra silence after that prayer for you to hold that situation, hold that person in God's presence in prayer. You can do that silently, but I would maybe encourage you to let the prayer escape your lips. Speaking someone's name 
is a wonderful way, embodied way, to hold them in God's presence for healing, for provision, for whatever it is that we're needing. Also, as part of how I'm responding uh, to this is by lifting you all up in prayer. And so I was just going to say, during communion, if you would like me to pray for you, um, part of how I'm responding is to pray for whatever needs you guys would like to bring. So I'll be in the alcove if you'd like prayer um, during communion as well. But let's respond to this good news by praying together. Amen? Jesus Christ is with us now. He's present And he's responsive to our cries for mercy. He is compassionate and eager to set us free from our bondage and bring us the liberty of the abundant life of God's reign. There's no need to hedge your bets or whip up more faith or explain the results. Beloved, let us pray together for the church and for the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.